Good morning, everybody. Joe Wyrostek here, going to go through Romans 14 and 15 for our SUM Chapel. Possibly going to knock this bad boy out this week. I promised the SUM students that I was going to finish up Romans for them, and so that's what I plan on doing. I'm going to make sure that today I stay on the SUM page so that I can keep up with the comments and the chats. Uh, yesterday I was watching it from my page and I didn't see any of the comments and chats, but here I am today and I'm going to make sure that I can keep up with everything. So uh, I'm going to open up in prayer and if you want to uh, put your name there, put a, you know, put a hi next to your name, whatever, I can give you a shout out. But let's start today in prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this awesome day. We pray that you will lead us and guide us into understanding what Romans 15, uh, 14 and 15 teach us as in living in the gray areas and the hope for the Gentiles and the gospel. Empower me to speak your word. Uh, keep me from error, from um, anything that would not be true. Help me to speak your truth with passion and may all those listening have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, I know some of you are going to be tuning in a little bit later, so I'm just going to get started right now. Let's get into Romans chapter 14, and since Romans 14 and 15 are so similar, I'm going to knock them out today by God's grace. Let's go to Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling or disputing, Excuse me, let's start again. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not eat with contempt. The one who does not, and the one, oh man, forgive me. What's going up, What's going on, Marcus, Frederick? What's going on, guys? I am uh, having a little bit of a hard time reading this. I'm going to, for the sake of honoring the word, and even pastors make, make mistakes, those of us who get paid for a living to read and speak, we got to sometimes slow down and try it again. Okay, let's go for it. Let's start again in verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. All right, good morning. I'm up now. Romans 14 starts off with teaching us about disputable matters. In verse 1, it says, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling or fighting over disputable matters. So what are disputable matters according to the Bible? Well, we're going to start getting some examples of those in just a minute about what we eat, what we drink, what days we celebrate Jesus on. Those are just going to be some of Paul's examples of what are disputable matters. This means right here from verse 1, there are gray areas in the Christian faith. 
And I thank God for the gray areas. What the gray areas mean is that each person can work out their own salvation with fear and trembling in the non-essentials of Christianity. The essentials of Christianity are the doctrines, the orthodox beliefs taught in the Bible, starting with the nature of God, who Jesus is, what salvation is, and what the Bible is, etc. And that's called orthodox doctrine. But there's also orthodox practice, orthopraxy as it's called, orthodoxy having to do with doctrine, orthopraxy having to do with practice. And those are the explicit commands of the Bible. And commands are not only thou shall not, there's also commands that thou shall do. Okay, so when you look at the Bible, the essentials are the doctrines and the practices. But Paul here in Romans chapter 14 verse 1 teaches us that there are non-essentials. And the essentials, we should be close-handed, saying nothing is going to change my mind about these things. I'm not going to compromise these things. These are the things I live and die for. These are the essentials of the Christian faith. They should be close-handed. But the non-essentials should be open-handed. So it should be no surprise that you will change in open-handed issues. The churches around you will change from time to time, and you will grow to see these differently. That should not be looked at as a sign of weakness or immaturity. If you change in your your uh, um, uh, ortho, orthodox beliefs and your ortho, uh, orthopraxis, your, your orthodox practices, as I'm trying to say, orthopraxy there, if you change in those, that is inconsistent. That The Bible would consider that being double-minded. But the disputable matters, it's okay to change on. It's okay at certain times to go, you know what? I feel like being a vegetarian. I don't want to eat God's precious little creatures. And then at other times to be like, hey, let's go to McDonald's and let's eat some of these precious creatures. Or for you to say, you know what? I want to abstain from all alcohol. I don't want anything to do with that. And then at other times to say, you know what? I'm going to drink in moderation. Or for you to say, you know what? I'm going to fast these days out the week. And then other times going, I'm going to feast these days out of the week. Or, you know, I'm going to stop listening to secular music. Or, you know, as long as it, you know, at another time you might say, as long as it's not filthy, dirty, whatever, if it's just talking about love or having a good time, whatever, then I'll listen to secular music. And I could be here all day with the issues that we face as gray areas in the Christian faith. But let's first establish that there are gray areas, that there are disputable matters. Paul is very clear that there are disputable matters and we aren't to fight over them. Now, some people may want to fight over what is a disputable matter. The Seventh-day Adventists may say, you know what? Sabbath celebration is not a disputable matter. It's in the Ten Commandments. You're commanded to keep the Sabbath. Well, what's funny about that is that Paul actually uses that in this scripture that that is an example of a disputable matter. So if you're going against Paul, calling something a orthodox command of God, or it's part of your orthopraxy, your practice, and, and Paul literally has said that is not a close-handed issue, then you're already in trouble, okay? And the same thing is with wine. If somebody's like, no, no, alcohol, all of it is sin. Like there's no gray area with that. And literally Paul in this passage says, 
says alcohol is a gray area and you're making it a black and a white issue, that shows that you don't understand what, what disputable matters are. And let me just say this before I go back into the passage. I know what it's like to live with everything being close-handed, where there is no such thing as a disputable matter. And I know some of you here watching me right now, you can relate to this. You knew me at times where nothing was disputable. Everything was black and white. Whatever God had told me was personally sin for me. It was sin for you and everybody around me, right? And so the idea is here, you're actually supposed to be able to show your maturity and understanding there are disputable matters. That's part of your maturity. So as we're about ready to learn here, sometimes people confuse the weaker and the stronger brother concept as we're about ready to learn. Many times people can confuse the weaker brother with the one doing the things that are disputable. And the stronger brother are the ones who abstain from doing those things. But it's actually the opposite. It's actually the opposite. Here we're going to learn from Paul in Romans that it's those who can do all of the disputable matters and don't really have an issue with them. They're the stronger ones. They're the ones stronger good faith and the ones that's fighting over every little thing or their conscience is grieved over all these disputable matters they're actually the weaker one okay let's keep going on now well maybe let me say this here the bible says in verse four who are you to judge someone else's servant well you might say man i'm a christian i'm supposed to judge man i'm supposed to judge matters in the house of god according to first corinthians chapter five i'm supposed to make righteous judgments you know according to john as jesus told me well why is paul now telling us who are you to judge another man's servant because the judgments we are to make in the church with church discipline and the kind of judgment that jesus told us to judge are over the close-handed issues of doctrine and practice. They're not over the disputable matters. Over the disputable matters, if you're judging in those areas, you're meddling with Jesus as the master of those servants. And so just like I'm not supposed to come into your house and meddle with the time you have dinner or the way you're raising your kids, you know, with your different rules and those things about how they clean their room and so forth, I'm not supposed to get up in your business and meddle we're not supposed to do that with other people's Christian walks. We're not supposed to do that when it's a disputable matter. So that's why he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. So notice this, that if issues are disputable, God says, I got them. Don't worry about that person. Don't worry about that thing unless they cross over into sin or start violating the clear commands of the Bible. Let them work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he's teaching by, by not judging in that way. Okay, now let's go on to verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So the first example he gives us is over holy days, literally holidays, over days you're going to consider more special than another. Of course, that's going to apply to um, Sabbath days and so forth. So let me just go right here so you can see that it applies to Sabbath days. 
uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. By the way, I have the notes online. You can get them from our website or from our app. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, listen to me. I just say this to, to laugh at us sometimes as Christians. If Paul literally said, do not judge each other on what you eat, on what you drink, or on what day you have church, what are we supposed to not do? We are then not supposed to judge each other on what we eat or drink or day we have church. So if you are going around judging people on what they eat, on what they drink, and on what day they have church, you are violating the scripture quite clearly, my friend. Like, you're not even off into application of the scripture, things that we're trying to decide whether or not are disputable or gray areas or not. If you are literally concerned about whether or not people eat pork, if you are concerned if people are keeping the Jewish dietary law, you are in the wrong, my friend. If you are concerned about what they are drinking, you are in the wrong. And if you are concerned on what day they are worshiping, you are in the wrong. Now, if you want to keep the Jewish dietary law for your own benefit, fine, go and do that. If you want to abstain from all alcohol, great, go and do that. And if you want to worship on the Sabbath from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, great, go ahead and do that. Just don't judge people who don't do what you do. Because Paul literally said in two different places, these are his examples of disputable matters, things you're not to judge another servant on. It's like the funny story that the, uh, the brother told uh, telling to his, his congregation, he said, you know, we're sola scriptura here, except when it comes to our ordinations, because we're going to ask you the first question on the pamphlet, you know, as you're registering to be ordained, do you believe the scripture is the sole infallible rule of faith? And you're going to have to click, uh, you know, check off yes. And then after that, we're going to ask you a bunch of things that are not found in the scripture. Do you agree with keeping these things too? You know, it, it's funny that we do that. If the sole infallible rule of our faith is the scripture, then we shouldn't be making rules outside of the scripture that have to do with people's salvation or their right standing with God. Now, do I agree that I can show, do, do I believe that I can show in the scriptures that Paul will go outside of the close-handed issues and make his own calls on things? Yes. And if you were serving with Paul out of sake, for unity and so forth, it would be good for you to follow those things. But they are not close-handed issues. And so in a church like ours, we may make some rules like, you know, uh, all leaders have to come on time. And if they don't, uh, there'll be a few warnings. And then if you don't do that, there'll be a discipline, etc. Well, of course, that's not found in the scripture, specifically a time you have to come to a meeting. Or we may say, you know, give two weeks notice if you're going to take time off. And, and these may be rules, right? We're going to we're going to follow these rules. But we're not saying that this affects and impacts your literal walk with God. Like you're not a child of God if you violate these things. So even in a church where we do have to add what we would say extra biblical rules, we have have to make sure that we're not doing it in such a way that we're saying it has to do with their 
faith, with their walk with God, okay? So Paul says, one person considers one day more sacred than another, and another one considers them all alike. Now look at verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Now look at how he goes to this next example. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now let's go to Mark chapter 2, verse 27 to clear this up, where Jesus declares all food clean. All food is clean. All food was clean even in the time of, um, of Noah. All foods, uh, rather foods being restricted, is actually something new. Uh, rather, this is the Jesus referring to the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. So the, so the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let me get to the scripture where he talks about the dietary food. Um, I have the reference here somewhere where he declares all food clean. Oh, don't tell me I forgot to put that in my notes. Nope, uh, Mark 7.19. I just already skipped by it. Mark 7.19 is very clear about the food being clean. Look at it. It says, for it doesn't go... Let's go up to verse 18, right? Get a little bit of the context here. It says, are you so dull? Because they were missing the application of what he was teaching here about the issues of the heart being really matters of the heart. That clean and unclean in the Old Testament were just supposed to be types and shadows of a pure and, un and impure heart. And so now he goes, are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? So if you're still arguing over whether or not food and drink defiles a person in and of itself, you are dull. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, man, I love my fellow Pentecostals, but I'm just being honest with you. Don't be dull. Don't be hard-headed on this thing. Don't make extra biblical laws. He literally said, if you don't get this, you are dull. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For if it, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And then here Mark gives you his commentary. Mark, the disciple of Peter, literally gives you his commentary on what that means. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And when we follow Peter's life, because Peter's more than likely influencing Mark writing this gospel, while we see Peter's life in the book of Acts, we see that the clean and unclean can even represent Jew and Gentile. And Jesus tells him, kill and eat. And Peter's like arguing, oh man, I'm a Jew. I'm not supposed to do this. The old covenant is so important to me. And Jesus is like, listen, do not argue with me. Whatever I tell you, whatever I tell you is clean. That is clean, son. And I'm telling you, this is clean now. So who are we? I just, I get free. I get free doing this. Who are we to say back to God, this is unclean? What he has literally said is clean. Okay, so let us just humble ourselves. Let us just go along with the scriptures. And if you don't like things like meat, or you don't like pork, or you don't like anything against the Jewish dietary law in the Old Covenant, good for you. That's awesome. Go ahead. Live that way. Just remember that you are not to make this an issue. Let's keep going, okay? 
It says, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Great, make it special. I, you know, Sundays are special for me. Saturdays are special for you. You know, Christmas is special for you. Christmas is not special for me, okay? So we could be here all day, you know, on, on, on is it okay to make Christian holidays? Sure, but not everybody has to follow your Christian holiday, right? And, and we don't have to get so upset and, and now call everybody pagan if they do. There may be some pagan things in there, and I've been on that side of the argument before, but generally most people celebrating Christmas or Harvest Fest or Easter aren't doing pagan practices. They're just doing things for their own sake. An Easter egg hunt for them is literally finding pieces of plastic with candy and it has nothing to do with the goddess of the goddess of fertility, Eshtar, which is really more conspiracy than true, which I don't have time to get into those things. But trust me, I used to believe all of those, those things were true, but they're more conspiracy than they are true, okay? Well, they cut down the tree and they put it in their house. Well, that's like Jeremiah said, they worship a tree. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with that. Evergreens throughout history have always been a part of uh, celebrating uh, the, the time uh, cele with celebrations during the time of winter because they were the only thing you could decorate. They were the only thing that possibly would live at that time, okay? And so uh, just like people still to this day, you know, put ferns or different things into their house or evergreens, you know, whatever, people choose plants for different reasons, okay? So I could be here all day. But the Bible says, if you pick a day and you do that for the Lord, that's cool. But if someone else says, I don't like that day, like the way you like it. I don't really care about that day. I don't want to give gifts to each other and say we're celebrating Jesus' birthday. What is the point of that? If it's his birthday, I'm going to give more to the church or something, you know? Okay, fine. Just don't fight over it, right? Like, like Let's not fight over those things. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the, both the dead and the living. Amen? So we live for Jesus. That is what Paul's argument is. Now let's go back to verse 10 here because he jumps right back into the argument, okay? He goes, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? He just said Jesus is the Lord of all. He's the one we live and die for. All of these other things that are not found in the cores of our beliefs or the cores of our practices, they're just disputable matters. Let them be between each person. And he goes, then why are you judging? each other why do you treat them with contempt why are you picking a fight that's literally what he says here because he's living in a day when people say you have to be circumcised to be saved L listen to what he says about that in galatians right like read galatians he's living in a day when people are trying to make gentiles become jews first follow these dietary laws do all of these things he's living in a time where people think they're more spiritual than their brother because they fast more and he's literally saying like why don't you get this Look at the continuing verse, uh, continuing part of verse 10. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Every single one of us are going to stand before God's judgment seat on these issues. If I have watched too much TV, God is going to judge me. Okay, if I have, um, 
listen to too much secular music. Like, I, you know, I listen to too much whatever's out there that I, I occasionally like and listen to, you know. Okay, God will judge me on that. But there is no scripture that says I can't watch TV or I can't listen to secular music or I can't eat meat, etc. right? Look at verse 11. It says, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. Now, what's amazing about this is that this is actually a proof of Jesus's divinity because that prophecy of Isaiah says that everyone is going to bow before Yahweh. But who does Paul say that scripture applies to? He says in chapter two of Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. So isn't that amazing that in the midst of this, we're reminded that Jesus is going to judge us. We're all going to bow before his throne and acknowledge him as our God. Now, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. There are not three gods. There are just three persons sharing the same divine nature of God, separate in their personhood, yet uh, united in their divinity, in their nature. Okay, now verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment. Dear Lord, can we all just do this? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm getting a little free from being a pastor that's had to step in between these things all the time, you know? And it's just like one of those things where you're like, oh my goodness, can't we just follow the scriptures? Can we just go back to the main things, right? Okay, so let's follow the scripture. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Now, let me just help you here. If everything in your worldview is a non-disputable matter, then you will be passing judgment on every single thing in your life. You will have no way of fulfilling and obeying this commandment of not judging. The only way you and I can obey this command of not judging is if we actually believe there are disputable matters. So if I was in the chapel right now, what I would do is ask the students, write on one side non-disputable matters divided into two categories, non-disputable matters of doctrine, non-disputable matters of practice, okay? Now, on that other side of the column, write disputable matters. Start with the first three Paul literally said are disputable matters. What we eat, what we drink, and what days we worship on. Start there. Now, begin to list other disputable matters. What are other things that you believe are not in that other category of close-handed essential issues, but that we can have disagreement on? Maybe we could have disagreement on the end times and how it's all going to work out and that we're really not supposed to judge each other from pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib right? There's a doctrinal issue that we can dispute and have disagreement on. What about another doctrinal issue? What about women in the ministry? Some people are going to take Paul's commands of limiting women's roles from the first century and put it in the 21st century. Okay, fine. If that's what you want in your church and you and your wives and ladies there, you guys all live under that rule, that's great. And maybe there's other churches like ours that see that it's only in that culture and that braided hair and pearls and so forth aren't really that bad and don't show impurity in the 21st century culture, right? 
Those are some disputable doctrinal issues. What about disputable things that have to do with um, Christianity today? Well, is it wrong to watch music, uh, to, to um, watch TV, watch movies? Which ones are bad? Which ones are good? Uh, what, what, what is your rules with uh, um, uh, secular music, non-Christian, non-K-love music, whatever, right? List out those things. Be honest with yourselves. Look at that list and then determine in your heart, I am going to follow Paul's command to not pass judgment on people in disputable matters. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Verse 14, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Another thing that you could put in there would be, uh, say, medicinal marijuana. You know, of course, we would all agree that uh, recreational marijuana is a sin because it's the same as being drunk. It's high. It's not being sober-minded. But medicinal marijuana, is that okay? Well, I certainly believe it's okay because no medicine, no drug in and of itself is going to make me a sinner. But if I abuse it to get high, if I abuse it to not have a sober mind, then that is sin, okay? So we know there are sins, and we know that things in the gray areas taken too far can become sins. If you see someone abusing alcohol, becoming drunk, if you see someone watching pornography, looking at women take off their clothes in movies and listening to dirty, filthy music, I mean, there's obvious areas where these things cross into sin. But the idea is, is that we are to not judge each other on the gray areas and to trust God to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, he's going to begin to show that people can get upset about this. They can get distressed. Let's keep going. It says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone from whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So now we get another bit of the puzzle here, another piece of the puzzle, which is those of us who are stronger in certain areas than others who are weaker in those areas are not to use our strength to make them feel bad. So let's say I listen to secular music and you don't. When we get in the car together, I am not to play that secular music just to show you how strong I am and to emphasize how weak you are. Out of Christian charity and love, I am to abstain from listening to non-Christian music if you consider all non-Christian music to be unbeneficial. Do you see how simple that is? Now, somebody now might say, well, if that's what we're supposed to do, if the person is with us, then why not just stop listening to it altogether? Because that violates everything you just learned in the first 14 verses. The first 14 verses does not say, well, always go with the weaker brother. 
and live your life as if everything through their eyes is true. No, it literally just said the opposite. It literally just said, go ahead and live out your own faith. Don't judge each other. Where it now makes a turn is in your personal relationships with people. If you are around a person that stumbles with alcohol, don't drink with them. If you're around a person that doesn't like movies, don't watch movies around them. But let it be known, my friends, those of you who don't want it done around you, you are the weaker brother. You are not the stronger one. You cannot flip that around and now say you are stronger and we are weaker. I'm so much better than you. I don't have to listen to secular music and now you're going to follow my rules. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You don't get to act like the stronger brother and get the privilege of the weaker brother. Understand this. If I'm not listening to Julio Iglesias around you, it's because you're weaker. That's the reason why. It's because you are weaker. If we're not sharing a beer together after a good meal or whatever, why? That's not because you're so much holier than me. That's not because you're so much more awesome than me. That's because you are weaker. You can't sit down at the wedding feast and drink a glass of wine with Jesus. You're afraid of what the, the, the Pharisees are going to call you. You think they're going to call you a drunkard now and a friend of sinners. Okay, so listen to me, my friend. I am just about fed up with those who are the weaker acting like they're the strong accept your place and by the way there are things in my life where I'm the weaker brother and I've learned to be okay with that for example I don't like Christmas parties where we're all giving gifts to each other and I don't have any gifts because I don't celebrate Christmas that kind of makes me feel weird guess what I am the weaker brother. That's what I am. So when people don't invite me to the Christmas party with the gift exchange, it's not because I'm so holy, I'm better than them that I don't celebrate Christmas. No, it's because I have a weaker conscience. Little things like Christmas trees bother me. Little things like extra biblical tradition that aren't found in the Bible that Christians can be fine with bother me i'm the weaker brother has nothing to do with them they're actually stronger than i am if we're going to make disputable matters a part of our christian life we need to be okay with those who don't and if we say i'm drawing a line here as a weaker brother don't try to use your weakness to beat them over the head to feel sorry for you. Literally, you are abusing the scripture. You have already got the approval to move away from that situation and for them not to do it around you. You don't have the next the privilege to take it to the next step and make them live as your little puppet underneath your personal convictions. The entire purpose of everything in the first 14 verses was to tell you that they have the right to do it. It's just whether or not they're going to do it around you. That's the point. Are they going to do it around you or are you going to ask them not to do it around you? That's it. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. That's both the weaker and the stronger and to mutual edification. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. That's the fact, right? All days are alike. Nothing coming into your system defiles you. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So how would I cause you to stumble? By doing it around you. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fail. So remember this. If me doing it around you causes you to sin, you are the weaker brother. And I'm not supposed to do it around you. But if I say, hey, is it okay if I listen to Julio Iglesias? And you're like, no, it's sin. And I don't want you to do it. And I go, hold on. You mean it's not going to make you sin if I listen to it. And you're like, no, it's not going to make me sin. I just believe it's sin for everybody. Hold on now. Bro, you're not even in the weaker brother category now. Now you're in the legalist category. You're calling things sin that are not even sin. The only way you can truly call yourself the weaker brother is if you go, yeah, man, you know what? Uh, You listening to Julio Iglesias around me right now, it's going to bring up memories, man, that I just shouldn't get into. And I don't want music to trigger those thoughts. So you know what? Let's just turn that off and keep worship on right now. Cool. Man, I would love to do that for you. I don't want to cause you to sin and go back into your past because I'm listening to I can be your hero baby or whatever. That's Enrique Iglesias, uh, Julio Iglesias' son. I'm just messing them all up. But, you know, sometimes people act like, no, man, I'm not going to sin over this issue, but I don't want you to do it around me. Well, that's not anything to do with weaker or brother. That's just basically you being a jerk. That's just really what it is. Like you're saying, this is not going to make me sin. But I still don't want you to do it around me. By definition, you are not the weaker brother. This scripture applies nothing to you. The only way you could apply yourself in this passage to being the weaker brother is if someone doing the gray issue around you makes you tempted to sin, makes you personally tempted to sin. Otherwise, if it doesn't tempt you to sin, you're not the weaker brother. You just Two people are disagreeing over something. You know, like, don't talk about pre-rapture you know, rapture with me. I'm post-trib rapture. You know, if, uh, if you do that, it's going to cause me to change my beliefs, and, and then I'm going to be sinning against, you know, whatever denomination I'm in. No, dude, like, most people aren't going to be like that. Most people are like, that's cool. You believe this. I believe that. It doesn't matter if you talk about it. I mean, we don't, you know, don't have to talk about it all the time, but it's fine. It should be the same thing with your actions, you know. It's like, yeah, you listen to secular music. I don't. It's cool if you put it on in the car. That's not my thing, but I'm not going to send you listening to it, you know, come on somebody, let's grow up in the body of Christ. Now look at verse 22 as we uh, close out chapter 14. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So he goes back to the point he made in the first 14 verses, which is you totally have the right to decide disputable matters in your relationship with God. The weaker brother does not get to change what you believe. That, that doesn't happen. Just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean that now you've got to change what they believe. No, no, just around you, they're going to make sure uh, around each other, whoever's the weaker or stronger, when you get together, you're going to make sure you honor each other because you don't want each other to sin. But what you're not going to do is try to change what each other believes, unless it's coming from the scripture or so forth. And that's fine. You can have Christian debate. But the Bible says that you are to make your mind up in these issues, Okay. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. And let me just say this when it comes to SUM, because this is an SUM chapel. 
S-U-M does not agree with alcohol consumption, nor does the Assemblies of God. That is awesome. Our students go to the Assembly of God school called S-U-M, and we're doing this chapel. We are totally cool with you guys being against it. We don't have any problem with it. We don't want to do it around you. We don't want to do it in, in a way that offends you. But we're just simply telling you this is what the scripture says. So if anyone from the Assemblies of God or the SUM wants to have a discussion with this and talk about wine, it would be a great topic to discuss. Is what in the world is this thing called oinos, wine, you know, and, and um, oh, what's it in the, that's in the New Testament. And then in the Old Testament, uh, shikar, you know, is strong drink and all these other, uh, let me see, a word, oh no. Let me see if I can do it like this. What is it in Yah something? It's something. Let's go to Noah where he got drunk. That's the first place I know like I could find the word wine here. I put Noah in there. Genesis 8. Okay. All right, all right, all right. The water did all that. Noah gets together. Okay. God bless Noah. He said, be fruitful. Okay, and then Noah is a bad boy, and he does what he shouldn't do. Okay, okay, let's see. It's the first time I believe the word wine is used in the Bible. Okay, here we go. The word wine is yayen. Yayen. There it is. Yayen or onos. Okay, now here, here's my point with this, and I'll discuss this with anybody, but my point is I'm not even here to change your mind on it. Honestly, you can believe whatever you want to believe about wine. That is absolutely fine. So listen to me. Assembly of God folks, SUM folks, as a pastor in a, a cohort, as a visionary leader, I'm not here to change the opinion of anybody. I'm not here to have a debate. That's the whole point. I'm not even here to debate over the thing, okay? But I'm just here to tell you Paul used wine as his example. Did he not say here? Did he not say here that the wine is not the issue? He says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That refers to the wine. And then up here, where does he say the wine again? Let me get it right up here. It says uh, each one should be fully convinced uh, for we don't live or die to ourselves. Where is the drink? It comes up one more time. Um Therefore, stop passing judgment. Is it right above that scripture? Oh, here we go. It is better for you not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that can cause your brother to stumble. Okay, so wine is in the same category of eating unclean meats, right? So it's no confusion there that it's brought up as a disputable matter. So the very fact that we're having dispute over it is actually fine. It's fine to have dispute over it. The problem comes in when one tries to make the other person or one church tries to make the other church live like them. Assembly of God, S-U-M, we don't want to try to make you to live like us. We have no problem. And because of the weaker brother's stance and because you think maybe it could cause others to sin or whatever, we encourage every single one of our students by your rules not to drink and to abstain. So none of our students can come into our church and go, well, um, you know, Brother Joe's, you know, uh, they would say it like this, like, well, we get to drink here at Metro Praise, so, uh, you know, I'm going to do this and who cares about SUM's rules? No, if someone did that, 
at our chapel, um, in our cohort, we would report them to you and have them suffer the discipline because that would be a violation of their word. They have said they will honor the weaker brothers of the, the church and the, uh, you know, the college they're a part of and other churches. Like Our whole point is we're not here to pick a fight over it. But to say that there's not an issue around wine is to actually put our head in the sand. So any professor, any New Testament scholar wants to have a discussion with us or, you know, just talk about what is wine in the Bible, we have absolutely no problem. And the way we look at wine, it's just simple. It's, it's a substance that has alcohol in it. And if you abuse it, it can make you drunk. And if you use it within moderation, it's perfectly fine. And so uh, uh, Noah took it to the point where he got drunk. He shouldn't have did that. That was stupid. Jesus didn't do that. Let's be more like Jesus. That's my whole point on that, okay? So if anybody from SUM or any cohort wants to have this discussion, I am fully open for it, okay? But what I'm not going to do is condemn you nor be condemned, right? Let's just have the disputable matter where it is and move on. And so once again, it says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. And it could be about secular music. It could be about uh, movies. It could be about women in the ministry. Those are all choices that people are free to make between them and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So I'm blessed because I don't condemn myself by what I approve. Oh, and by the way, I don't drink uh, caffeine because that's not good for me. Caffeine is not good for me. So I abstain from things that a lot of you guys drink and don't have a problem with, but I do, right? Uh, and it says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and anything that does not come from faith is sin. There's the principle. If it's not coming from faith, it's sin. And so I've talked to people about secular music and they're like, well, if I listen to this song, then maybe I'll listen to that song and then I don't want to go down that road. Okay, what you're saying is, man, if I go and do this, I don't have the faith that I'm going to avoid sin. And it's the same thing with alcohol. Well, how, how, how do I know how much is too much? How do I know this? How, and I don't want to do this. And, and the alcohol back then was different and blah, 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 blah. Okay, then don't do it. Then that's fine. Well, you know, if I start watching these kinds of movies and I might watch this movie and then before you know what I'm doing, then don't do it don't. And denominations and churches and discipleship groups are all free to cut off as much stuff as they want with the people around them. <clears throat> Excuse me, like for example, Nazarites took vows to, you know, to not cut their hair, to not drink anything that's even made of grape juice, nothing, not even grape juice, not wine, nothing, fermented or uh, unfermented. And they went to that next level. And if you want to be like a Nazarite and live on a next level, you can. You can do whatever you want. It's just that the Nazarites couldn't walk around which kind of like it seems that John the Baptist might have been. John the Baptist couldn't walk over to Jesus and be like, you know what, Jesus, you're drinking and you shouldn't be drinking because I made a vow not to drink and you're, you're stupid and you're doing... No, Jesus literally said one came singing sad songs, one came singing happy songs. The one singing sad songs, they didn't like that. You know, they want to behead him. The one singing happy songs, they say he's a drunkard and a wine bibber, a friend of sinners. So it's like they don't, you know, the world in one sense doesn't care. They're going to look at us and not get it. But us in the church, we should accept one another and be like, dude, go John the Baptist, go. Like, we love you and your wild self. 
like you wearing all that sackcloth and ashes, dude. Like, we love you. Go ahead. You know, and then the other one, like, yeah, we love you too, man. And Jesus, we love you over here doing these things, right? Okay. I think I've said enough about that. Let me just knock out this chapter because he really just reiterates it now. I mean, he just, he knocks it out. He makes it clear. Let's live in this space right here. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's Psalm 69, 9. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter how you feel about those disputable matters, if you're weak or strong, just come together on the close-handed issues of Christianity and stay strong and to have one voice to this culture. Amen. We all agree that homosexuality is a sin. We all agree abortion is a sin. We all agree that sex before marriage is a sin. We all are in agreement on these close-handed issues. We all agree in the blessed Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We agree that Jesus was, was crucified for our sins, dead and buried on the, rose on the third day then for our, our salvation. Let us say those things and say them clearly with our Baptist Presbyterian brothers, with our, you know, non-denominational brothers, our Calvinist brothers, our non-Calvinist brothers. Let's all join together on those essentials. Verse 7, accept one another then then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promise made of the patriarchs might be confirmed. And now he's going to tie back in the gospel for Jew and Gentiles. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. He's going to nail down four uh, verses here that show us that Gentiles are included in the gospel. Everything he was talking about in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he's going to bring it back around here. He says, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name, Psalm 1849. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people, Deuteronomy 32, 43. And that's actually in the midst of judgment coming upon them. Rejoice because your nations are going to get judged. But if you come into Israel, you'll be saved. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him, Psalm 117, verse 1. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Praise God. Psalm 11:10. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in their day, a lot of the disputes were between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul was saying, let's not fight about that. Read Galatians, right? He's like, you don't, Gentile, uh, Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be saved. True salvation comes from Christ alone. Put your trust in him. Now Paul is going to begin to conclude because the next chapter 16 is the last chapter where he thanks all of his workers and recognizes their service to the Lord. And now he's going to conclude with the point he's made from chapter 1, which is the Gentiles, even before they had the gospel, had a witness of, their con uh, witness of God by their conscience and creation. And now uh, through you know chapters 2 all the way onward, he teaches about the gospels for both Jew and Gentile and 
God is now choosing Gentile to be saved. It's like he chose Jacob over Esau, the Israelites over Pharaoh, etc. And now he's going to conclude with like, man, I am actually specifically called to you Gentiles. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. So teach all these things to each other. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified, notice that past tense, by the Holy Spirit. See, we're sanctified in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, I, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around, all the way around to Icrinium, I, I, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. That's why we shouldn't be stealing sheep. We should be winning new souls to the Lord. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. That's Isaiah 52, 15. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So he's been wanting to go to Rome. Rome was actually started without an apostle, more than likely people visiting from Rome and Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost. And Paul is now saying, man, that's my greatest joy is to preach to people like yourself, those who are primarily Gentile, even though they did have Jews in the congregation. Now he says, but now there's no more place for me to work in these regions because I keep persecuting them. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you all passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. And by the way, he's going to end up going to Rome, but not the way he thinks. While he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to preach there. He's going to get arrested, and he's going to be brought to Rome, arrested as he appeals to Caesar to be spared from the Jews' plot to kill him. Verse 25, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was suffering financially then. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. And that's why we should pray and support Israel. And we do that in our church by praying for them and politically supporting candidates that support them. Verse 28, so after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do you want to see the Trinity right there? Our Gospels and the epistles always emphasize the Trinity. Jesus Christ is the Son, the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and when he talks about God in that sense, it's the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I urge you by the Son of God, by the love of the Spirit of God, to pray for me to Father God. Look at that, verse 31. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. 
And we know that he is kept safe, but he's still arrested. So that I may come to you with joy. He's coming in chains and he will still come with joy. By God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, that concludes chapters 14 and 15. In summary, what did we learn today? From chapter 14, verse 1, there are disputable matters. What are the three main disputable matters that Paul brings up? Eating, drinking, and religious days. Should we argue over those things? No, we should let each person, each church, each denomination decide those things on their own. As Christians, what are we to do when we find another person that disagrees with us? Well, we're to see the two categories of weaker and stronger as our way to handle the issue. The one who's doing the things with a clear conscience, not violating the close-handed things of Scripture, they are the stronger. And the ones that can't, they are the weaker. The stronger for the sake of the weaker are to avoid doing those things around those people. Now those people should be honest and share their heart that it's really because they, they might sin that they don't want you to do it around them. That they're simply not just being a softy saying, you can't do something around me I disagree with. So truly the weaker and stronger brother situation is to avoid weaker people from being tempted to abuse what the, strongers do, the stronger ones do for Christ and to turn it into sin. And therefore, we are to love and to care for each other and to not judge each other in those disputable matters. The stronger is not to judge the weaker and say they're better. And the weaker is not to judge the stronger and say that they live by a better set of convictions and principles. No, both the weaker and stronger are to believe whatever they choose to believe in their walk with Jesus Christ and to believe it fully by faith. Not stumbling, not doing things to please man, but only to please their Lord and Savior. And then we hear that God is the God of not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. The biggest uh, issue that the church had at this time was accepting the Jewish believers, accepting the Gentiles, and the new Gentiles accepting the Jewish people. They fought over the rules of the old covenant, but Paul was clear that the old covenant does not apply to the Gentiles. And truly the Jews, after the destruction of the temple, could clearly see that their covenant had been done away with and the new covenant had come in its fullness. So let us be like Paul, an apostle to the people God has called us to, whether it's Jew or Gentile. Let us live with weaker and stronger brothers, encouraging them both to go for God. And let us encourage people to go all in and to fulfill their duty their service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray, and then I'll see if there's any questions. Father, I thank you today for this awesome time that we've had together. I pray that all of us will recognize the strong and the weaker of our lives and to bear with them in patience. Let us know what is disputable and what's indisputable. And let us be like Paul and fulfill our calling and to do what you've called us to do. I know that I'm called to this city and to this nation. And I know that others are called to foreign nations and to different cities. I pray you bless them in their calling. May we all serve you and fulfill our calling. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. 
All right, got some more love here. Thank you guys for giving some shout outs. Marcus and two Marcuses tuned in today. Marcus times two. Frederick as well. Uh, if you watch this at another time and have questions, please post it below. And uh, if you're from SUM and you want to have discussions about this, where we're not fighting and arguing, violating the scripture, but simply just discussing disputable matters, I would love to have a discussion with other professors or others in different denominations who feel differently. The whole point is we're not supposed to try to fight and, and uh, change each other's mind, but just simply share each other's perspectives. I'm cool with that. Otherwise, have a great day. Be blessed.